There are times, frequently for some, when we consider what we've said or done. And then we decide, I need to reconsider. I have done so this past week. Welcome to In the Bullpen with Mark Dewey, sponsored by Developing Contenders Ministries. You're listening to the Fight Lab Feast Network. Thank you for joining us. And look who's coming up. High fly ball into right field. She is gone! Last week's episode was devoted in large part to covering the rule changes that Major League Baseball officially announced for the 2023 season. I went over what those rule changes were. I gave my views both on how I thought the game would be impacted as well as whether I liked the implementation of these new rules. Over the past week, I've considered both the rules and my opinion of them, and I realized that I probably need to rethink some things. I mentioned very clearly or made a statement very clearly that I am completely opposed to pitch clocks and maybe not to the same level, but nonetheless opposed to the banning of shifts. I acknowledged that I thought the intent of these rule changes, the goal that they're hoping to meet, would likely come about. That the end would be good. That the pace of play would be increased. That there would be more hits. That there would be a greater display of athleticism among infielders. But then I said I wasn't happy about the means to the ends, that is, the rule changes. But the more I have thought about it, the more I have given consideration to this. Given where the game is, given how we got here, given everything that's been going on and has been for quite some time, can we get to these goals, can we meet this intent without these rule changes? I'm not certain that we can. I mentioned last year in May when I went to a high A-ball minor league baseball game, the West Michigan Whitecaps, that I watched in action the pitch clock. The clock between batters, the clock with between pitches with men on, with men on on. And I said it was definitely good in the sense of the pace of play was much improved. That I thought the results were very, very good. But then I mentioned the fact that I didn't like it overall and I thought maybe kind of a mediating view on this would be to have these rules in minor league baseball but not major league baseball so that as guys come up through the system they get used to playing the game a particular way and when they get to the major leagues then they're quicker to get in the box they're quicker to get on the rubber they're quicker to get their signs and throw pitches and some have even said that actually has happened that some of the minor league guys who have come up to the major leagues the last year or so that they actually do those things But Major League Baseball did not decide to take that route. Instead, they've instituted the rules. I will continue to think about them, and I will continue to consider whether or not, at least humanly speaking, there is the opportunity to reach that goal of more action in baseball, of a quicker pace of play, apart from these rules and the rule changes that are going to be implemented. Since last week, other rule changes were announced by Major League Baseball. I want to talk simply about one. What has been in place since 2020, in place during the regular season but not the postseason, now appears to be a permanent rule change. Again, during the regular season, not the postseason. 
and that is this. Every extra inning game, beginning from the 10th inning on, each half inning will begin with a base runner at second base. I believe I can think about this rule change. I can rethink about this rule change. I can mull it over in my mind for hours, days, weeks, months, or years, and I will never get over my disdain for this rule. I've mentioned that I believe my favorite person who covers baseball for a living is Tim Kirchin. Tim Kirchin was with Buster Olney on the Baseball Tonight podcast this past week, and Tim Kirchin discussed this rule change. Yeah, look, I, I'm old and I'm old school, and I'm all for almost all the changes that we have for this year. But this is the one that really bothers me. I'm sorry, Buster. Some of the greatest games I've ever covered have lasted 15 innings. Some of the greatest games of all time have lasted 18 innings. I was there for the first two. I was there for the first three postseason games that lasted 18 innings. I thought they were great. Look, I know we're trying to keep the players healthier. I just don't think it's too much to ask for someone to play 15 innings in one game. And if it's just because it takes too long or we have to work harder in the media for it, then I think we have to work harder in the media for it for one day. It doesn't happen very often. I think we should play until somebody wins the game, and I am still totally against putting a runner at second to start an extra inning of a tie game. And I am truly amazed how many people in the sport, including those who wear uniforms, are all for it. And I understand the rationale. I'm sorry. I just think we should ask our players to do more once in a while rather than less. I completely agree with what you just heard from Tim Kirchin. Completely. I do believe we ought to expect more. I don't even know if we expect more. We ought to expect players to do what they did for the first 100-plus years of this game, not expect less. Now, Tim Kirchin has heard and read, I have read various reasons explaining why, according to Rob Manfred, the clubs prefer this rule, including those who put on uniforms, managers, coaches, players. Here are some of the things that I've read. This rule saves teams from excessive strain on their pitching staffs. It helps keep teams from having to pitch position players in these games. It eliminates really long games. There's less chance of playing an exhausting game. It prevents the rescheduling of flights and throwing off sleep schedules. I have two brief responses to that. The second one, I will explain a bit more fully. My first response is, wah, you got to be kidding me. My second response is this. I think that those people that were in Major League Baseball and fans of Major League Baseball in the 80s and 90s need to rethink what they thought back then, in particular about Cal Ripken Jr. From June of 1982 through September of 1987, Cal Ripken Jr. did not miss a single inning of any game his team played in. Cal Ripken Jr., during that five-year stretch, played in 8,264 consecutive innings. Then in 1995, in September, Cal Ripken played in his 2,131st consecutive game, breaking the record that had been established and held for decades by Lou Gehrig. And on that night, I remember I was on the West Coast. We were in our clubhouse in San Francisco, so we have a three-hour time difference from Baltimore. All of us standing and watching the TV as Ripken broke that record. 
All of us standing in awe. All of us thinking that's what it's all about. And so did the baseball world. And even beyond that, the President of the United States was at that game. Then in 1998, the big news was that that streak would come to an end after Cal Ripken Jr. played 2,632 games in a row. And Cal Ripken Jr. was held up as a model of work ethic, as a model of what our society ought to be like, and in particular, because he was a Major League Baseball, what a Major League Baseball player ought to be like. Remember, in 1995, that was right after the strike that ended the 94 season, canceled the 94 World Series, and went into the 95 spring training schedule. And some people, I think rightly, declare that Cal Ripken Jr. in that streak was a big factor in, quote-unquote, saving baseball and bringing fans back. But I guess we shouldn't admire Cal Ripken Jr. I mean, I, I got to believe that he probably was exhausted. Probably his sleep schedules got thrown off. He probably had some excessive strain on his body doing all of that. I don't know why we held him up as a hero back in the 80s and 90s. Last week's episode, we also discussed the fact that Mark DeRosa will be managing Team USA in the World Baseball Classic. Since last Monday, Mark DeRosa has been forced to rethink things. He found out in the past seven days that two significant pitchers that he thought would be on his staff won't be. Nestor Cortez of the Yankees and Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers. Cortez has got a hamstring issue. Kershaw did not say exactly why, but he will not be participating. Here's another example, and they're prevalent in all of life, but especially in baseball, in which we ought to acknowledge what James tells us to acknowledge, which is this. We make our plans, but we ought to make them always saying, Lord willing. Now, over the last week, I've been considering any number of things. But there's one thing I know I don't need to adjust my thinking about, and that is this. There are sounds we hear every spring training when pitchers and catchers report that are a delight to hear. The sound of a baseball hitting a glove, the sound of a baseball hitting a bat. Wonderful, delightful sounds. And when we haven't heard them, at least more or less, throughout the winter, when we hear them at the beginning of spring training, they are a delight. Listen again. So last week, pitchers and catchers and some position players reported to spring training. That's why we can hear those sounds. This week, before the week is over, we will hear the sound of play ball and the sound of crowds cheering because games begin before this week ends. Now, not only is this the time of the year when players report to spring training, but it is also the time of the year in which arbitration cases are heard. Oftentimes, both sides try to avoid this because oftentimes bad things come from it. But sometimes it cannot be avoided. But almost, I better not say almost always, but often an arbitration case, when it is heard, results in some form of friction between the team and the player who is going through arbitration. And sometimes that kind of friction can be very costly. And that may have been the case over this past week as the Milwaukee Brewers and Corbin Burns went to arbitration and... 
Corbin Burns lost, but that's not the big deal. It was what he heard through this arbitration process that would cause me concerns if I were the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, like I say, you, you kind of find out your true value. Um, you think you, you work hard for seven years in the organization and five years with the, with the big league team, and um, you get in there and basically they, they value you much different than what you thought you'd, you contributed to the organization. Um, and it's just, you know, it's obviously it's tough to hear, it's tough to take, but, you know, they're trying to do what they can to win a hearing. Um, but I think there was obviously other ways that they, they could have gone about it um, and um, probably been a little more respectful with the, with the way they went about it. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, here we are. Um, you know, they, they obviously, they won it. Um, but it, it, when it came down to, to winning or losing the hearing, it was, it was more than that for me. Corbin, this is everyone's fear for a player, especially a star player, going to a hearing that it creates just some maybe not bad blood, but just some hard feelings that weren't there before. Um, how, how do you guys repair that? Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's no denying that the relationship is definitely definitely hurt from um, you know what what perspired over the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, there's there, there's really no way of getting around that. Um, obviously, we're, we're we're professionals and we're going to go out there and, and do our job and. You know, and Keep doing what I can every five, every fifth day that I go out there, but um, you know when some of the things that are said that um, you know, for instance, basically basically put me in the forefront of, of the reason why we didn't make the postseason last year. I mean that's something that probably doesn't need to be said. You know we can go go about a hearing without having to do that. Um, so that's kind of one of those things that you know, obviously you know they, there was no attacking of, of character of you know person of who I was, but um, just the just the. Some of the stuff that was said that you know definitely didn't need to be um, said is, is is something that you know, I think kind of disappointed everyone. After hearing those words from Corbin Burns, the Brewers might be rethinking whether they should have gone to arbitration with him or not over really a seven hundred thousand dollar difference, or at the very least whether they should have said some of the things they said in order to win that arbitration case. Now, Matt Arnold, the general manager of the Brewers, did damage control after that statement by Corbin Burns releasing some statements of his own. And then I read that the two of them, Matt Arnold and Corbin Burns, met and kind of cleared the air about all that took place. But we'll have to see if this has any kind of a negative impact on the season Corbin Burns has. Knowing Corbin Burns, I'm going to say it's not going to, but still, it's one of those things that is very sketchy if you're the team. A similar but definitely distinct problem that can come about between a team and a player is when a team signs a player to a long-term contract. And then after it's too late, after the ink is dried, they begin to rethink the wisdom in doing so. There are a couple of situations, one um, more obvious or more concerning, I guess, than the other, that we found out about in this past week. Steven Strasburg, who's with the Nationals, he's 34 years old, had another setback. Last year, he had surgery for thoracic outlet syndrome, and he came to spring training and had to get shut down. And there's no timetable for his return. And it is a distinct possibility that he will never pitch again. Now, here is one of the greatest college pitchers in the history of the game. And when he has been healthy, he has been very, very good. But injuries have been an issue throughout his career. He was instrumental in 2019 when the Nationals won the World Series, he had a great season and a great postseason. And after that, they signed him to a seven-year, $245 million contract. Over the last three seasons, he has made a total of eight starts and pitched only 31 in a third innings. So as the first overall pick several years ago, 
as one of the best, again, college pitchers in the history of the game, it was it's disappointing as a baseball fan to see the struggle that he's had with injuries. But if you're the Nationals, you have to ask the question, huh, given his track record prior to 2019 was a seven-year, $245 million contract, a wise decision. It's always easy to look back. Hindsight is 2020. I get that. But it may be that since signing that contract, his career from that contract date on would include eight starts, 31 and a third innings pitch. I sure hope not for his sake, for the national sake, for the sake of the game of baseball. Another pitcher, and again, this is not quite so urgent, but I would still say is concerning, is Jacob deGrom. He delayed getting on the mound for the Rangers as spring training opened, though I believe it's either today or tomorrow he hopes to throw a bullpen. But he did not throw a bullpen last week because of some tightness in his left side. He signed with the Rangers this offseason, a five-year contract, $185 million. There is absolutely, like Strasburg, no doubt about his talent. Jacob deGrom has won two National League Cy Young Awards. When healthy, he is, I don't even think arguably, he is the best pitcher in baseball. I mentioned before that Corbin Burns is considered by some to be the best. Corbin Burns doesn't have the injury history that Jacob deGrom has had. But what about his health? Now, this shouldn't be a big deal. But since 2019, Jacob deGrom has made no more than 15 starts in a season. He made only 11 in 2022. One of the sayings in baseball is, one of the best abilities a person can have is availability. That's the question. Will deGrom be available more than 15 times? 20, 25, 28, we'll have to wait and see. And of course, we'll have to wait and see whether the contract the Rangers gave him is going to end up proving to be a wise decision. Slightly differently, we've got a situation with a position player. Manny Machado has said that he will opt out of his contract with the Padres at the end of the season. He signed the contract in 2019. It was 10 years, $300 million. And so when he opts out, if he follows through on what he has said, he's opting out of the final five years, $150 million. And he's rethinking things because he's seeing the kind of contracts that are being signed. And he's thinking, I can get more. First, we have to see, does he follow through on that? I guess first we have to see, will the Padres try to extend him? Then we have to see, will he opt out of that contract? And if he does so, will he get a better deal somewhere else? Many people, as I've mentioned, have been rethinking things over the past week, are rethinking things even as I speak. And, as I've said, I have been rethinking things as well. Now, some of you might be thinking, and there might be even some of you who are hoping, that I have reconsidered and changed my mind about any number of things that I've said so far in the episodes of 2023. In particular, as it regards my thinking that all things are from and through and to Christ, including all things baseball. My thinking that Christians in the game and everywhere need to topple idols. That we need to stop hiding behind religion and stand faithfully with and for the Savior. And that we must do all things in love, loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And that love is not defined by what makes me feel good or what makes you feel good, but it's defined by God in his word. I have said that we should refuse to stand idly by 
We cannot, we must not remain silent as God's name is blasphemed and people engage in behavior that, if not repented of, will eternally damn them. Well, no, I haven't. I haven't changed my thinking on that. And by God's grace, I hope never to do so. And I pray that if you're a follower of King Jesus, you won't either. And I say this, having read the news just a couple of hours before recording this episode on Monday morning of the Chicago White Sox player who has publicly come out and said that he is a sodomite. But that's a conversation for another day. Join us next time for In the Bullpen on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Thank you for listening.